I remember when I was in high school, I had a part-time job working in a warehouse. It was good work for a teenager, but it was pretty boring most of the time. Not that boring is bad. If you're a parent, like me, you've probably had your child come up to you at some point and say, I'm bored. And if you're like me, you've probably responded by giving them a list of chores to do. Clean your room, unload the dishwasher, put away the laundry. And of course, they don't want to do those things. We don't want to do them either. That's why we're trying to get the kids to do them, right? When a child complains about being bored, they're not looking for work to do. They're looking for games to play, for secrets to discover, for wildernesses to explore. To be bored means that you have idle time. And while Proverbs teaches us that idle hands are the devil's playthings, I think idle time can be a blessing. We need idle time. God commands us to take a day off every week, to give us this free time in our lives. It gives us space to, to ponder, to reflect, to wonder, to create. Someone told me recently that it's impossible to write a poem or draw a picture unless you first have a blank page. So I think boredom can be like that blank page in your day. It's an opportunity to create something wonderful. So anyway, like I said, I was in this warehouse working when I was in high school, and one day, I was probably 16 or 17 years old, I was at work and I was sweeping the floor, and I was bored. And I remember what I was doing, I, was, I had a peppermint candy in my mouth, which when you come to think of it, that's probably the most boring candy <laughs> that there is, right? You get them at banks and, and office buildings, and I think every grandpa has them in his pocket somewhere. Um, so I'm there, and I'm sweeping the floor, and I'm sucking on this peppermint candy, and my mind starts to wonder. And for reasons unknown, I started to wonder, what would it be like for someone, you know, from the past, from like a thousand years ago in the past, to eat a peppermint candy for the very first time? And so I started to imagine that I was like a ninth century Viking or something. I don't know why I was a Viking, but there you have it, I was a Viking. And uh, so I'm, I'm a ninth century Viking, and, and my diet's probably pretty bland. I probably eat a lot of root vegetables, you know. Um, and here someone from the future comes to me, and they give me this little peppermint candy. And I put it in my mouth. What would that experience be like? I mean, I've never tasted processed sugar before. I've never tasted peppermint before. And I've probably never had anything like a hard candy that you just, you're just supposed to put in your mouth and suck on and, and let it dissolve. And so that whole experience, the taste, the texture, the smell, would be new to me. And suddenly, as I'm there sweeping this warehouse floor and, and sucking on this peppermint candy, I'm tasting that peppermint candy for the very first time. And it's the most amazing thing I mean, it's like sensory over overload in my mouth, right? My mouth starts to water. I think my heart probably even was beating a little bit faster. It was a miraculous thing, eating this peppermint candy. And I think, you know, if I really were like a ninth century Viking and I had this given to me, I'd probably run off and tell everybody about this amazing new thing that I've discovered that someone from the future gave me, but I wouldn't even have the words to describe it. 
And it's been probably close to 25 years since I had that little thought experiment brought about by boredom. But I still remember pretty vividly that sensation of having that peppermint in my mouth and allowing myself to experience it as if for the very first time. There's so much goodness in our lives that we take for granted every day. Little gifts that God gives us that we overlook and that we fail to appreciate. But if we take the time to step back, if we give ourselves that that experience, permission to experience these things as if for the very first time, we can recapture again, I think, that experience of just how amazing they are. And if that's true of something as simple and ordinary as a peppermint candy, it's certainly true of the greatest gift that God gives us, which is the gift of himself in the Eucharist. The Eucharist is the daily bread of our faith. It's what brings us together at Mass each and every Sunday. And we can and we should receive it frequently. But just like with anything that we experience on a regular basis, it's easy for us to take it for granted. But today, we have a special occasion. We are privileged to be able to celebrate with these seven young people their reception of their first Holy Communion, receiving Jesus for the very first time in his Eucharistic form. And that's an opportunity for us to step back and engage our imagination so that we also can receive Christ in the Eucharist as if it were our very first time. Imagine that you've never heard of the Eucharist before and someone explains it to you. Here's something that looks like bread and wine, but it's not bread and wine. Through the words of the priest, the bread and wine on the altar become the body and blood of Jesus. And who is Jesus? Jesus is God. God, the maker of the universe, the eternal and almighty God, gives us himself to eat. To be a practicing Catholic means you eat God. That's astounding. And yeah, that's a little strange. One might even say it's unbelievable, but that's exactly what we believe. And we don't believe it because of any external evidence. We believe it because of a deep and abiding trust in Jesus who said, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. I think it's impossible for us to approach the Eucharist with anything resembling adult skepticism. Our grown-up minds insist that things make sense. We don't like things that aren't what they appear to be. We don't know what to do with mystery. We prefer for things to be analyzed and categorized. But the Eucharist resists all of that. It resists all of our attempts at adult comprehension. Instead, it demands of us a childlike acceptance. A 
couple of weeks ago, I was going for a walk with my daughter Maddie, who is receiving her first Holy Communion today. And they had just had a practice here at the church. And she was telling me about it. She said, we got to taste the bread and the wine. She didn't really like the wine all that much. She said, we got to taste the bread and the wine, but it wasn't Jesus yet. It was just bread and wine. But when we do it for real, she said, it will be Jesus. And I wondered as she told me this, whether the idea of eating Jesus seemed strange to her. I mean, we don't really talk about eating people all that often, and when we do, it's, it's not a good thing, right? <laughs> so I was wondering, how is, how is she understanding this? Right? What does she think about this? So I asked her, I said, does it seem strange to you to think about eating Jesus? Like, why do you think God would, would do that? Why do you think he'd become food for us to eat? And without even pausing for a second, she just said, so he can be close to us. And then she ran off to look at a flower that was growing by the side of the creek. And I just stood there thinking, wow, I'm probably overthinking this way too much. (laughs) So he can be close to us. That's exactly the right answer. That's why God made us. That's why God redeems us. That's why God becomes one of us in Jesus Christ. That's why he suffers on the cross. That's why he gives himself to us in the form of bread and wine. That's why he does all of this, so that he can be close to us. He baptizes us to make us part of his body, and then he gives us the Eucharist so that he can become part of our body. That's how close he wants to be to us. He wants to be part of us, and he wants us to be part of him. His body, his blood, his soul, his divinity, united with our body, blood, soul, and humanity. We speak of God's love for us. In fact, we speak of God's love for us so often that it too can be taken for granted and lose something, I think, of its wonder. The greatest tragedy would be to live your life never knowing that you are part of an amazing love story, that you are being pursued by love itself. Listen to these words from the Apostle John from our second reading today. In this way, the love of God was revealed to us. God sent his only son into the world so that we might have life through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as expiation for our sins. And from John's gospel, it was not you who chose me, but I who chose you. He wants to be close to us. Children know this, and they accept it more readily than adults do, because they trust more easily. So maybe you've taken the Eucharist for granted in your life. Maybe you haven't received it as reverently as you should have, or with as much devotion as you should have. 
We've all been guilty of this. It's okay. Maybe you've even doubted Christ's presence in the Eucharist because you've struggled to believe what your eyes can't perceive. Or maybe you just think it's too good to be true. That's understandable. But if that's ever been true of you, I invite you now to follow the example of these children, to become like a child, trust like a child, and receive the Eucharist at this Mass as though it were your very first time. Experience God's love again. Trust that this is not ordinary bread and wine. This is Jesus, and he wants to be close to you. Knowing that is enough. In fact, it's everything.